All right, turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 2, and I want to come right out of this very familiar passage that so often we talk about and charismatic churches talk about, and I think what happens is verses like these that talk about things that we're familiar with, they become, they can become kind of cliche and trite in our minds, and I just want to kind of slowly walk through this and deal with the implications of this. One of the things I love about the Bible is that when you read the Bible, you're reading tomorrow's headlines today. Don't you love that? That the Bible tells us what's happening and what's going to happen in the earth. I don't have to tune in to CNN and Fox News. I have the Bible. The Bible's already telling me that darkness is gonna cover the earth. The Bible's already telling me that difficulty and debauchery is gonna cover the nations. And the Bible already tells me that God already has an answer. And there's an activity of heaven that the Lord is releasing in the earth, not just sort of reactively, but proactively, because his kingdom is an ever-increasing kingdom. Isn't that right? He already knew what was going to happen. He already knew the hearts of men. He already knew what, what happens when sin comes to its you know, fullness and an amplification. And he already has in place plans to release glory as a, as a preemptive strike on, on the difficulties and the wickedness that is coming on the earth. Well, Acts 2, it gives us that. It makes it really, really clear. Now, just... Contextually, we know that Acts 2, it's after Jesus has been crucified and and risen from the dead. This is the day of Pentecost. It's 50 days after Passover. The the disciples had been in a 10-day prayer meeting. They were told to tarry and wait for the promise of the Father. And as they were together, 120 in this upper room in Jerusalem, and for 10 days straight, they were crying out to the Lord. All of a sudden, they heard a sound. That's what it says, Acts 2. It says they heard a sound as of a mighty rushing wind. Hello. I mean, I can't, I've never been in a prayer meeting where everybody all of a sudden hears, I mean, the wind tunnel, the roar, whatever, the tornado of God, whatever it is, they're in a prayer meeting and they all hear the sound. And it's interesting because when you read through it, it says the city heard the sound. That the people, not just in the room, the people in the city all came running to figure out what was that sound. And the sound was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. God poured out his spirit with a mighty sound of a rushing wind. And here's what it says, that fire appeared and divided in little bits of fire, called them tongues of fire, little tongues of fire, not tongue in the mouth, tongues that are burning. And those, that, those fire bits divided and they landed on people. I don't know what that does to you, but when I read that, I just think I want to go to that prayer meeting. 
I want to go to the prayer meeting where the sound of the wind sounds like a freight train draws the whole city together and where the fire of God visibly falls and expands, explodes all over the room and lands on everybody. And then it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they all spoke in new languages as the Holy Spirit was giving them the utterances. The Holy Spirit giving them the words, and they began to speak in other languages. Paul would go on to tell us that the tongues, the languages that they spoke in, are the tongues of men and of angels. Amazing. Well, they go spilling out into the street. This fire-wind encounter of God is on them. They spill out into the street, and the city has gathered because they heard the sound. And they are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and here they are speaking in other languages. Man, and everybody that's gathered, they think these guys are under some influence. They're drunk. I want to go to that prayer meeting where the guys that go to the bars, they look at us and they go, whoa, they really have had a few too many. Because the fire and the power of God is on us so significantly. Can I get a little bit of a witness? I want that. Well, the Bible gives us that. That's what the Bible tells us that is available to us. And then Peter stands up with the disciples and says, these are not drunk as you think they are. They're not drunk as you suppose. It's only, and he says, 9 a.m. Like they would have had it got started real early. It's only 9 a.m. And then Peter is now going to give us explanation of what's happened. And this is what Jesus told them. He says, wait in Jerusalem to receive the promise. And the promise was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he says, you will be witnesses unto me. And, and the witnesses is, I mean, I love that, that we go witnessing and that we share people with people the gospel and we pass out tracts. But the, the idea of being a witness unto Jesus is you are a living testimony. You're so filled with the fire of God. You're so filled with the Holy Spirit that everywhere you go, some of that is coming off of you and it's getting onto the other people around you and they're going like, what is different about you? That challenges me. Because I don't always feel filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes I'm grumpy. Sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes I'm not tuned in the way I need to be. But I want to be filled. I want to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit. So that Holy Spirit on the inside, filling me, spirit, soul, and body, touches the people around me. Well, that can happen in your job. That can happen in your home. That can happen at the grocery store. That's not for just the ministers. That's for the body of Christ. We're to be living witnesses. So when this thing is exploding now and Jerusalem is gathered around the disciples, Uh, Peter is going to stand up and he's going to give an explanation. Now, what's interesting about his explanation is he quotes a prophecy from Joel. Joel's prophecy from Joel chapter 2. And he's going to quote this Joel prophecy. But what's fantastic about it is he points to the time right before the Lord returns. It's interesting. Peter says, what's happening right now is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, just like what Joel prophesied. And what Peter is ultimately saying is, we're getting it in a portion now, and it's going to come in a fullness before the Lord returns. Let's look at the passage. Verse 17, Acts chapter 2, 
Peter says they're not drunk as you suppose, but this is what was promised by the prophet Joel, and he says this, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. When? Before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Peter knows he's quoting a prophecy that's geared to be understood right before the great day of the Lord, and what he was saying is, this is the beginning of that outpouring. It's happening now. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, like I said, the Bible, it gives us tomorrow's headlines today. And this chapter, Acts 2, it's, it is a favorite chapter of Pentecostal, charismatic, spirit-filled people. We love Acts chapter 2. We quote it so regularly, but like I said earlier, it's easy for a passage like this to become cliche and that we don't actually live in, in the reality of it. it. It becomes cliche instead of normative. You know, there's a difference. Cliche is, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that verse, and it's not moving your heart. Normative is, I'm living in the reality of it day in and day out. And what we need is this thing to become normative. And this is really what the Lord's doing for us is he's showing us that at the end of the age, there is an antidote for the spirit of Babylon, like what, was, like what I talked about last week. There's an antidote that God has already got in place. There'll be a rising tide of wickedness, but there is coming a rising tide of the glory of God that this earth has never seen before. And it's incumbent upon the church right now to get our hearts lined up with what the Bible says is getting ready to happen. So often we get tuned to what's happening in our culture, what are the common trends, how do we uh, do church growth, what does, what does the, the society think is the best way to, to sort of grow things and, and, and gather people. But I'm telling you, while those things may be interesting and, and maybe helpful for knowing how to, to gather a crowd at, at a certain time, if we're not looking at the pilings, if we're not looking at the foundations that the scripture says are absolutely clear for, for the hour in which we live, we are going to be completely askew from what God is saying to this church, what the spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. And I'm clear in my heart that right now the Lord is speaking to the church that he wants to release an outpouring of the Holy Spirit like we've never seen before. And he's not gonna release it like a bolt of lightning out of the blue upon an unsuspecting people. He's gonna release it on a people like in Acts 2 that are leaning in and asking him to pour out his spirit. Can I get a witness? So let's look at this passage. Let's just walk through it for a second. He says this, he says, in the last days it should come to pass, I'll pour out of my spirit on all flesh. I, I love that phrase, on all flesh. The New American Standard says this, 
I'll pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. All mankind. Everybody say all mankind. What Joel prophesied and what Peter reiterated is this, that there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will touch the entire globe. Not just by osmosis, but an outbreaking of God across the nations of the earth that every single human being will experience the repercussions of it. How do I know that that hasn't already happened? Because right now we have a billion, couple billion people, billion and a half, couple billion who've never heard the name of Jesus. But I'm telling you, before this thing is wrapped up, before the Lord returns, there's coming an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's gonna touch every single human being. Doesn't mean every single human being's gonna get saved, but they're gonna feel the, the repercussions. It's kinda like when you're in a pool and somebody big jumps in the end of the pool and you get the waves. The waves are gonna hit all the nations, come on. The waves are gonna hit all the nations and every human being is gonna feel that outpouring. Beloved, this is coming, this is coming. We need to tune our hearts to this. We need to see what the scripture says and tune our hearts to this. Well, then he goes on to say this. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your sons and your daughters. And he says, the men servants and the maid servants. And that terminology he's using, he, he's talking about the, the people that would be the least regarded in a society. He's basically saying this, from the children to the least regarded, from the old to the young, the men and the women, everybody is going to prophesy. Don't discount yourself right now. You go, well, I'm not really that prophetic. I don't really have dreams. It's not really my thing. I'm more of an accountant. I do tax law. I don't really prophesy. I do numbers. No, no, no. You will prophesy. The whole church is coming under the spirit of prophecy. Every single believer is coming under the spirit of prophecy. And I'm telling you, the word of the Lord will be so clear, thousands will have the same word. I, and we see it in, in, in moments right now. We, we see it in little pockets and in little, little moments. I'll, I'll have people regularly come up to me and they go, you have no idea, you have no idea. I, you, that thing you just preached this morning, that's my journal. You preach my journal. And I go, that's awesome. That means we've got the same Holy Spirit. Praise God. And that somehow we're, he's telling both of us the same stuff. I believe this. I believe we're coming into a time that the church is going to experience, that the spirit of prophecy is so poured out that, that so many are operating in, in visions and dreams. We are gonna, it's not going to be any guesswork to what the Lord is saying to the church. And here's, what, here's how you're going to know it. Here's how you're going to know it. The six-year-old is going to show up with language that there's no way they would know it. They're going to give you biblical language because the Holy Spirit on the inside of them is going to give them the word of the Lord. The six-year-old is going to come up and say the word of the Lord. And then the 10-year-old is going to say the word of the Lord. And then the teenager is going to be burning with that same word. And then the, you know, the, the adults are going to have the same word. And this thing is going to be so clear across the body that the Lord, see, at the end of the age, the Lord isn't going to leave it to chance. He is going to speak so loudly through the church that from 
from the least to the oldest, the, the men, the women, every single person is going to be operating the spirit of prophecy. And it's not going to be this thing where I'm better than you. I've got more dreams than you do. No, it's none of that. This whole thing where people want to use their prophetic thing as I'm the badge of the prophetic sheriff and I've got the anointing, that's ridiculous. We have the same Holy Spirit and he gives gifts. And we get to give our gifts and he gets the glory. Not one of us gets the glory. But I'm telling you, this thing is coming upon the church. The word of the Lord will be so clear across the entire body. The guy that just got saved last week will have the word. The guy that's been saved for 50 years will have the word. There will be so, so many voices with the same word. There will be such a, a, a complementation with one another. Everybody will be complimenting one another. We're going to hear the word of the Lord all over the nations. And be speaking it in this region and this region and this region and and it will be fantastic, dreams and visions, outpourings of the Spirit. We're, we're going to see it in mass, the Spirit of prophecy. And I, I just think this, if we're not readying ourselves to operate in an outpouring of the Spirit that's in a much greater fashion than we've seen so far, we are being disobedient to the Bible. Am I making any sense? Spirit of prophecy is going to come on the church in an unprecedented way. Well, and then he goes on to say there'll be wonders in the heavens and signs in the earth. Think that through. It says blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. Blood, fire, and vapor of smoke. He's not giving us an exhaustive list. He's just giving us a list of some of the things that are going to be wonders. And I don't know about you, but when I read that list, I immediately go, blood. Like, whose blood? Whose blood are we talking about right now? That's intense. Blood, fire, smoke. Joel's, the way that Joel says it, he says, columns of smoke. Glory is falling, is what he's talking about. And, you know, we have these friends, obviously, North Georgia, Christ Fellowship, Dawsonville, they're, they're experiencing uh, an outpouring. He, he says it's an, an awakening to, an, to awaken an awakening. He says it's the preemptive of an awakening. And what is it? He says, well, the Lord showed me fire that he put on the water. And they've had signs and wonders and healings and miracles and many people coming to the Lord, thousands being baptized just an hour north of here. Jeff and I have both spoken there and it's, it is legit. I mean, there's a fear of the Lord on the place. There's an outpouring of the spirit happening. It's God. Well, and then, you know, they're over here in, in uh, Dalton, you've got the brothers that have the flowing oil coming out of the Bible. And I'm just going to confess, first time I saw that thing, like they, they got a, a oil coming out of their Bible, like, that's just weird. That's just weird. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, somebody, what do you think about, somebody asked me, what do you think about the oil Bible? I go, I don't know. That's just odd. That's just weird. And I remember I went, and I, I, they were coming to a friend's church, and they were going to preach, and they had the Bible sitting there in this bucket, and the bucket was full of oil. And I thought, man, somebody's just pulling a trick. Clearly, there's pouring Crisco in over this Bible, bringing it in a bucket. It's obvious. And that, that guy got up and preached. Johnny got up and preached. And I sat there with my discerners turned on to level 10. 
not going to sway me. And I listened, and I said, Holy Spirit, tell me about this man. Talk to me about his heart. And I, I didn't get anything specific or, you know, you know, unusually prophetic, but I just walked out of there. I said, I know for sure that guy's clear. He's clean. His heart is clean. And I thought, poor guy, somebody around him is perpetrating a, a fake Bible oil, <laughs> pouring oil in it when he's not looking, poor fella. Well, then they had him up at our friends of the Christ Fellowship. And uh, his brother Jerry was walking around touching people with this Bible, this drizzling oil everywhere. And I thought, There's, that's, got, he's got a, he must have a line coming up his sleeve that's coming out of this Bible. And he touched me and my knees buckled. And I went, wait a second. And then I watched my son and my daughter, boom, boom. They go down under the power of the Holy Spirit. And then my, my daughter goes into travail on the floor, my eight-year-old at that time, for an hour. I'm like, okay, I think this might be the Lord. You know, I'm slow on some of these things. So he's got this thing, and it's out of the box for an hour. It's been out of this aquarium of oil for an hour, and I'm watching the oil just drip right, drip right off of it. And I'm, I mean, I'm sitting there rubbing my eyes looking at it, and my boys are right there, and I've got, you know, my teenager and my, 20, my two teenagers and my 20-year-old, they're staring, they're looking at it, they're trying to figure it out. Because they're going to smell a rat, you know. They're, no one's messing, going to pull the wool over their eyes. They're looking at this thing, and they are in shock. Because it is dripping so much oil off of this Bible. And there's, this guy's got short sleeves on. There's no way. There's no Bible pumping oil thing in the back. I'm looking. I'm going. And, and then it hits me. I'm in unbelief. I don't be, Oh, right. There is a biblical sign of oil that didn't run dry. Right. Wasn't that with Elijah? Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, there are signs and wonders that he said he's going to release at the end of the age. Blood, fire, vapor, smoke. Might as well just go dot, dot, dot. Oil. Oil Bible. But I watched that thing drizzle oil after it had been outside of that box. I mean, it had been out of the box for over an hour, and it was, it was loading oil up, and they started telling us the story. I was shocked. I said, it's a sign, and a, it is a sign and a wonder. It's a biblical one, too. We actually have precedent in the Bible, and I, it, it, it worked my own heart, because here I am. I preach these things. I believe this stuff. I believe it, and then when I see it, I don't believe it. And what I realize is I'm, I'm the one that's trite about these passages, I'm the one that's cliche. I'm the one that's in unbelief and cynicism. Let me just ask you something. If you really believed blood, fire, vapor of smoke, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, everybody's going to be prophesying, the thing's going to touch all the nations of the earth. If you really believe that, and if you believe that that's going to happen in a time that's close to your time right now, to our time right now, how would you live day in and day out? And that's what we have to come to grips with is the, the dissonance between how we live day in and day out versus what the Bible actually says is coming on the earth in a very short period of time. And I look at this and I'm convicted. I'm excited because I'm like, oh man, we're going to see the glory of God fall in a way we've never seen before. I'm excited and I'm convicted because I'm like, wow, I need to like come out of cynicism myself. I need to come out of the sway of the world myself and believe what the Lord says is going to happen. Well, he goes on and says, all those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
that all those who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved isn't simply the door is open and anybody that wants to get saved will. It is, it's talking about a, a, an amplification, an advancement of salvation. It's talking about the outpouring of the Spirit with many, many, many calling on the name of the Lord is the idea. Many will call on the name of the Lord and will be saved. All those, it's this, this, this advancement of the work of salvation that's gonna happen across the nations. And how do we know that? We know that the, the, the nations are gonna come to salvation. We know that because when we see the scene before the throne of Jesus, we see people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. So there has to be an outpouring of the Spirit that touches every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. What am I telling you? I'm telling you all the unreached people groups are going to get reached. I'm telling you from every nation, there's going to be an outpouring of glory that will call people into the kingdom of God. This is going to happen before the Lord returns. That's a good place to say amen. I'll just keep telling you all when to say amen. We'll just do it that way. And then he says this. It shall come to pass. He says, but he says, uh, blood, fire, vapor, smoke, uh, darkness cover the, the, the sun, moon to blood. And he, but he gives us this timing. He says, before this all happens, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord. What am I telling you? I'm telling you, God's agenda before the Lord returns is a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is coming. It's a biblical fact. This is coming to the earth. And the church must tune herself to this truth that this thing is going to change. God is going to change the order of things with this outpouring of the Spirit. Now, turn with me to Malachi chapter 4 because Malachi uses the exact same phrase. He says, before the great and awesome day of the Lord. He tells us something else is gonna happen. And I just, I just want this. I just want the way that I live my life day in and day out to make sense in light of what the Bible says is coming. And if it doesn't make sense in light of that, then I need to change the way that I'm living my life. Am I making sense? And, and, and so that's what I want to give to our spiritual family is that, hey, there is something significant getting ready to come on the earth. We're in a time right now, a rising tide of, of darkness, but we're also in a rising tide of glory. And the Lord is inviting the church to be tuned to the Holy Spirit to live in a manner that makes sense in light of the time in which we live. Well, Malachi 4, again, another chapter that is so often quoted and, and so often used. Oftentimes we throw this in, 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 you know, over the children's church kind of ministries because children are men mentioned there twice. But I want to tell you this is way more than a good children's ministry. Malachi 4, verse 5 he says this, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. There's the phrase again, before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, I will send you Elijah the prophet. 
So wow, I look at Acts 2, the Joel 2 prophecy in Acts 2, and I look at those, I go, okay, that's all going to happen before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And then I see this, and he says, I'm going to send Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Okay, so then I know that's happening at the same time. Does that make sense? That's happening at the same time. This outpouring of the Spirit and this thing where he says, I'm going to send Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. I go, okay, okay. You're going to send Elijah the prophet. What does that mean? What does that mean? You're going to send Elijah the prophet? If you go back and you study it and you look at 1 Kings, you find out this. Elijah got taken by a chariot of fire. He never died. It's appointed for men to die once and then comes judgment. That's what the scripture tells us. But he never died. You got a couple guys in the Bible that never died. Elijah never died. Enoch never died. Walking along, Enoch was taken, the Bible tells us. Elijah, he gets picked up by a chariot in fire. (laughs) Now that's a way to go. Come on. Can you just imagine you're at the restaurant? (laughs) The chariots of fire come rolling through the restaurant. Get in. (laughs) What? (laughs) What a way to go. But he never died. So here we have this interesting point. He says, I'll send Elijah the prophet. Well, this was a point of discussion between Jesus and the disciples. And in fact, you can read about it in Matthew 17, where the disciples ask Jesus, they go, how come the scribes say that Elijah has to come first before the day of the Lord? And Jesus goes, oh, Elijah is coming first. He goes, it's real. (laughs) And I don't know how this works exactly, but if Elijah shows up, we'll be doing a conference and we'll let Elijah speak at it. But he says, he goes, Elijah will come first. And then Jesus goes on to say this, and he has already come. And they did whatever they wanted to him. And it says he was speaking of John the Baptist. It's really interesting because John the Baptist is this embodiment of, of this, I'll call it, spirit of Elijah, which is how the angel described it. But, but let's just stay with this prophecy, and then we'll look at John the Baptist in a second. He says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So the Lord is going to send Elijah the prophet. Now, John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, and I believe that that's what the Lord is going to do Before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, he's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh, and he's going to release the spirit of Elijah, just like he did in Jesus' first coming. John the Baptist came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And then it says this, he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Now, oftentimes I've heard this preached, and it says there'll be family reconciliation, which I think is awesome. Uh, But I don't think that's what this passage is talking about. I do think it has a secondary or or third, you know, kind of application about that. But last week, we talked about this rising influence of Babylon at at the end of the age. And we talked about how the central issue in Babylon was selfish ambition. They wanted to build a name for themselves. Well, and I, and I, in the second service, I tied together Babylon and the spirit of Jezebel, and I explained that. Well, Elijah was one that stood against Jezebel, didn't he? 
It's interesting. So at the end of the age, we have Babylon and Jezebel happening and sin. And then at the end of the age, we have the spirit of Elijah. And the Lord is doing it again. It's another Elijah-Jezebel showdown. But this time, I believe he's pouring out the spirit of Elijah upon an entire generation. And this first explanation, he says, it will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. What is he talking about? He's talking about... Let me just break this down. He's talking about the propensity of men and women to live their whole lives unto themselves and for themselves. To live their whole life saving as much as they can so that they can retire. And they end up spending the outcome of their life upon themselves. I'm not saying that retiring is bad, but I'm saying that there is a selfish ambition woven into Western culture that what happens is instead of the old coming to a place of, I want to give and serve the young, the old grow up and they want to be served by the young. The young should always honor the old. But I believe the spirit of Elijah is about Elijah taking all that he was and giving it to another man, Elisha. And the multiplied effect of that is that Elijah had a certain measure of anointing, but Elisha had a double portion. Am I making any sense? The spirit of Elijah poured out on a generation is this. It's an entire generation, uh, an entire older generation being fully delivered from the spirit of the age where they're not living for selfish ambition. They're thinking about what can I give to cause the next generation to be greater than I was? How can I double the anointing upon them? That's when the spirit of Elijah is in place. I see and I talk to men and women in ministry, and they're thinking about their children, and sometimes it gets too much. It gets too crazy. They just only live for their children because they've got other ambitions, but they think about how can I double everything God's given me in the life of my kids, and when I see that, they're not trying to make a name for themselves. They're actually trying to come down so that the next generation can go up. When I see that, there's just it just speaks of the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of Elijah that he wants to release. I said it this way. It's when the fathers embrace the mentality of a servant rather than that of a king. That's when you see the spirit of Elijah. And there comes a point, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm, kind, of, I'm kind of getting up there a little bit, where you don't want to think about what you get to be and do anymore. All you want to think about is what the next generation can be and do. And you just think about how can I give it away? How can I cause them to increase? How can I cause them to, to, to grow in God and be everything God's destined them to be? I believe that's what this is talking about. It's the, it takes a hit. It, it hits at the very heart of that spirit of Babylon that's all about selfish ambition. 
Well, then he goes on to say he's going to turn the hearts of the children to the fathers. And, and while I think I like that family reconciliation piece, I really don't believe that's what this is talking about. In fact, Luke 117, it describes the angel explained that John the Baptist, he was coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah, and that he was going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And then he used this phrase, he's going to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And what's he talking about? He's talking about a power that comes on the church where the old generation gets underneath and serves the young generation and where the young generation learns how to be fathered. They learn how to be encouraged and lifted. Instead of saying, I know better than you, old man, I'm gonna go run my own way, the young generation comes under and says, can you help me? Can you lift me? I, I need to learn the ways of righteousness and justice. It's taking the rebellious and that spirit of the Lord comes on them and the rebellious says, I no longer want to be rebellious. I want to be submitted. And in that submission, the fathers lift the young. Does that make sense? Beloved, I'm telling you, there is something coming on the church where the young generation is lifted by the older generation and they're gonna operate in a double portion and that thing is gonna happen not just in one spot, that's gonna happen all over the nations of the earth. And the young will operate in the righteousness and the justice of the kingdom instead of that rebellion where the young always do. Every generation you have that rebellious sector. And in this, this thing, when the Lord pours out the spirit of Elijah, you're gonna have the young operating in lock and step with the old, humbling themselves and giving themselves to the, to the ways of righteousness and justice. Well, he's gonna do this before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Here's what I wanna encourage you. If you've never studied the day of the Lord, go to your Bible program and put in day of the Lord. And look at the 30 verses that are from beginning to end that talk about the day of the Lord. And what you'll find is this. There are historic days of the Lord, and then there's one that all those historic days of the Lord point to, the great and terrible day of the Lord, when the Lord returns. When Jesus returns and he, he brings every nation under his authority, that's really the thrust of the entire scripture pointing to that day of reckoning that the Lord has with the nations. When I think of the day of the Lord, I think of it as a day of reckoning for the nations, the day of revelation of Jesus to the earth, and the day of the restoration for, of the kingdom. Those are all biblical ideas that the church should be completely around, but hear me, because we mostly teach people how you need to get by this week, how you need to live day to day, instead of how you need to live in light of the end of the age and the age to come, we are completely uh, blind to this narrative of scripture that's always pointing to the day of the Lord. You know, the New Testament, the apostles had what I call an apocalyptic expectation. What does that mean? They were expecting uh, the great and terrible day in their generation. And why did the Lord allow the Bible to be written that way? Why? So that every generation of believers would have that same expectation. But here's what we've done in Western Christianity. We've preached an eschatology that gets, gets us out of here before anything bad happens, so we no longer live with an expectation of any kind of trial or challenge or difficulty having, getting ready to happen. We just live thinking, how can I get more for me right now? 
which is completely antithetical to the biblical narrative. The apostles lived with an apocalyptic expectation and every generation of believers is supposed to live with that same expectation. What does that do? It tunes your heart to urgency for the hour in which you live. Listen to me very carefully. Even if the end times don't come to fruition in your generation, you are in your end times. Just real clearly, every one of you will stand before Jesus within the next hundred years. So one way or another, Jesus is coming or you're coming. (laughs) It's the end of the age for you, for sure. Does that make sense? So we've got to live with an urgency. We've got to live like it matters. But because of an eschatology that says we're getting out of here before anything bad happens, we've lived really dull. We've lived really, really blind. And we've lived kind of just day to day and for ourselves instead of according to what the Bible gives us, which is actually giving our lives away for others. Does that make sense? And so the day of the Lord is a day of reckoning, the day of revelation, and the day of restoration of all things. All right, last thought. Look over with me to Luke chapter one. I know I'm teaching a little bit, but we really need this. Luke 1, verse 16. It's an angel speaking about John the Baptist. It's exactly what I already shared. It says, he will turn many of, verse 16, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him, go before the Lord, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. There it is. And he'll make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Well, John the Baptist is the example of what it looks like when the Lord releases releases the spirit of Elijah. And as I already quoted Matthew 17, Jesus said John the Baptist was an example and it's gonna happen at the end of the age. It's gonna happen before the great and terrible day of the Lord. This is coming on the entire generation, beloved. And it's gonna be this spirit and power of Elijah operating in the same disposition and calling that Elijah had. And what was that calling? To turn the nations back to God. It's interesting to me that John the Baptist did not do any signs and wonders. He had a proclamation ministry and he had a prophetic ministry, but he wasn't the full package of the spirit and the power of Elijah. He didn't do one miracle. What am I telling you? There is a full fulfillment coming at the end of the age. That Acts chapter two outpouring with signs, wonders, and miracles. This Malachi four, five, and six, where he's gonna release the spirit of Elijah. That is gonna happen all together. And it's gonna, it's gonna leave a massive imprint upon the nations of the earth. And the implications are gonna be really, really cool. Let me just land it with this. What are the implications of this? What am I explaining to you? What is getting ready to happen? This isn't just for the pulpit ministry. This is for the church across the body of Christ, across all denominations in every nation. Firstly, the spirit and the power of Elijah. What's coming? An anointing to preach the gospel that will turn nations back to God. I'm talking about at the QT, at the grocery store, in the classroom. I'm talking about in the business location, in the entertainment zone, wherever it is, there is an anointing coming that's going to, it's going to pierce and break stony hearts. 
And I, I just look at it right now, and I've, I've shared the gospel with so many people over so many years, and so often I've just seen the thing just bounce off. Well, I believe this. There's an escalation coming on the power of the gospel. The word of the Lord is going to run swiftly and be glorified. We're going to see the gospel that is the power of salvation. And just when you share the simple gospel story, it's going to, it is going to shatter stony hearts. It's going to see people completely smitten under the power of God. Elijah stood against Jezebel. He turned an entire nation to God. John the Baptist was a voice of one crying in the wilderness, called all of Israel to repentance. And there is a power of prophetic preaching that's coming on multitudes in the body of Christ that's going to turn many, 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 many to the Lord in the name of Jesus. Say amen right there. Secondly, as I've already mentioned, Acts 2, there are miracle signs and wonders coming like nobody has seen before. God is going to take what he poured out on Egypt. He's going to take the ministry of Elijah. He's going to mix it together with what the the apostles walked in. He's going to take all that together, and he's going to multiply it on the church across the nations. The church will be walking in apostolic power. It is going to be at John 14, 12, greater works than these time. This is what's coming to the church, beloved. And I'm just telling you, we have to tune our hearts to that type of reality We've got to turn our hearts to to that kind of a a ministry. Let, Let me just mention this. If today we're unwilling to take our hand out of our pocket and put it on somebody who raises their hand in a service and says, I'm sick, I need healing, how are we going to operate in that kind of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit when it's happening in the earth? We do these things, yes, because we want to manifest healing now, but because we want to call the body into this activity as normative, laying hands on the sick, sharing the gospel with the lost, right? Casting out demons. You know, that's not just for the deliverance minister. (laughs) Do you guys believe this? Casting out demons isn't just for the deliverance minister. It's for the believer. They that believe, these signs shall follow. They will cast out demons. I know that sounds wow crazy to some, but that's supposed to be normal. I want us to live in that, beloved. Laying hands on the sick, casting out demons. That's coming on the nations. It's coming on the church across the nations. We're seeing it in a measure now. We're going to see a great manifestation of signs and wonders across the earth before the Lord returns. And this thing that I talked about last week, the spirit of Babylon, it's going to be overcome by the spirit of Elijah. Just like Jezebel of old was overcome by Elijah and and, and ultimately uh, was slain because of his prophecies, this thing is going to be overcome by a people operating under the spirit of Elijah. And the church is ultimately going to prepare the way for the Lord's second coming, just as John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord's first. Amen. Let's stand. I know that's a lot. I want to encourage you to take it away from here. Consider it. Pray over it. Ask the Lord to tune your hearts to what he's doing in the earth. Let's just pray. Lord, right now, I'm asking that you would breathe on us. There is a rising tide of wickedness in the earth. You have an answer. The answer is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the release of the spirit of Elijah. So I'm asking you for our spiritual family that we would come to grips with what it is you want to do 
in us and through us and in the church, in the nations. Do that in us. Speak to our hearts and shift our hearts where they need to be shifted. Beloved, I'll just say this. If how we're living right now doesn't make sense, if how we're living day to day doesn't make sense in light of the end of the age, we need to change how we're living day to day. So Father, I'm asking, put that in us. Put that in us, that urgency to engage with what the Spirit of the Lord is doing and saying to the church. We give you thanks for it. I bless the spiritual family. Thank you for drawing us to you and pouring out your spirit in our midst. We say yes, Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody that agreed said amen. Amen, amen and amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.